What's up everyone and welcome to episode 107 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where I, Tim Backbeck, talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. I uh, hope everyone had a lovely Easter weekend and has been has been enjoying the sun here in the UK especially. Um, predictably I managed to get a bit sunburn on my arms and face but that's what you get for being a pale ginger. Um, but I managed to, to do quite well, not an absolute lobster as I sometimes get in the summer. Um, did something a little bit different with my week this week, well, particularly over the, the Easter weekend, but uh, on Good Friday I went down to Milton Skate Park here in Portsmouth for the Border South Sea Skate Jam. Um, it was a skate park I didn't even know existed. A, good fr- a friend of mine from... Uh, sort of college days still skates and stuff and he invited me along to take some pictures uh, met some really nice people um, and it was cool to sort of like meet this little skate community that I, I knew there was a bit of one in the town but I thought it was sort of like a lot of the younger people there's still people kind of like my age and generation still going strong in in the skate world as well so yeah hopefully get more opportunities to, to hang out with that lot as the the weather continues to get better um, and then on Saturday, my band, The Divorcee, we played two gigs in one day, which in hindsight, I regret booking because I was absolutely knackered at the end of it. But um, it was lots of fun. The second show in Southampton, we got a lot of good reaction, which which is always nice to hear. Um, and we got to play with our good friends in Ithaca, which is always really cool. Um, one little bit of news that I want to touch upon before we get into our guest and this because I'm super excited about it um, and even though some of the bands have already announced kind of their tour dates around it but uh, Flufffest will be making their official first lineup announcement this Thursday um, it's 20 years of the festival so there's big expectations so yeah if you're a fan of sort of screamo hardcore anything that's kind of of that ilk um, and are a fan of what Fluff do then make sure you check out all their social medias on Thursday 25th of April because I'm sure the lineup is going to be absolutely killer um, finally just some plugs before we get into our guest uh, as always you can uh, listen to this show on all your favourite podcast platforms so if you are listening to us on one of those please rate, subscribe and review the show it really does help us push those numbers up and get more people listening to this show Um and finally, if you so wish to represent the show, we have tote bags. Uh, you can go over to justaninsight.bigcartel.com and go pick one up. There will be a link in the description of the episode if you so wish to purchase one. Um, all the money from the sale of the tote bags go back into this show, helping it ever grow and blossom. Right, let's get into this week's guest. And I am joined by employed to serve vocalist and Holy Raw Records label manager Justine Jones. Uh, Justine was kind enough to invite me into her home um, where we discussed sort of how her and obviously the other members of Employed to Serve sort of grew up in that new metal era and that kind of shaped her musical taste in particular. Um, how ETS has been sort of her one and only band and how she's kind of grown with the band as well. Um, how operations work at Only Raw, it was something that I was quite interested to see what their day to day is because you always see the end product of these awesome lab- uh, records coming out on that label so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that um, and also how Employed to Serve's music has kind of evolved and the- their sound is kind of almost bookmarked by chapters so yeah this is a really cool one and I ha- it was really nice to sort of catch up with Justine as well so as always please sit back enjoy the chat I have with Justine and I'll see you on the other side. Mm-hmm. 
sat in the lovely home of employed to serve vocalist uh, Justine Jones, who's just supplied me with some some lovely feed, which I'm very grateful for. Can't take all the credit, Sammy. Actually, uh, <laughs> cook, I cooked the rice. You, you did cook the rice um, and mango chutney. Yeah. So it's very good. Um, but thank you for for welcoming me into your home and joining me on the show. How's everything in the world of of Justine? Uh, how is everything? Very busy. <laughs> yeah. Very very fun, but busy. Um, yeah, I mean, like we we finished recording our last record. Well, the record's coming out uh, in May last year, so it sort of like felt like a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, between that and now, but it seems to have like zoomed by somehow. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, we're in almost March now, so. It, yeah. It's it's not. It? I feel like I've been like on a bender or something like <laughs> all, all months because I just woke up and it's it's March. Yeah, but, um, yeah. But no, I'm very excited. It's cool. Like it's weird. I've seemed to have somehow bookended this kind of whole process for you guys because obviously I spoke to Sammy when you were s- still at the ranch recording and now I'm talking to you as things are approaching so it's nice it's kind of nice for me anyway to sort of have that kind of book yeah sort of yeah thing. you can have that sort of like foresight and sort of yeah yeah. yeah definitely um well how I like to start everything is kind of take everyone sort of right back to their their roots so to say so what was your kind of first exposure of alternative music uh, so I came from. So I used to, on Friday nights. I used to go skate, um, ice skating with my family. Okay. Uh, and I used to get into like things like Eminem, Black Eyed Peas, yeah, yeah. things like that. And then I had um, a cousin who was my age, uh, actually, was second cousin that we used to go visit in Swindon. Right. Um, and like both of us were sort of parallel in our music taste for a little bit. Um, and he had the reanimation album by um, Limp Biscuit, Linkin Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it like obviously had lots of rap on it as well. And I was like, oh, there's like some heavy bits in yeah, there too. Yeah. Um, and I really latched onto it. And I just sort of like started looking into Linkin Park. And I sort of noticed like Kerrang! magazine and like um, Metal Hammer like in stores. And I started just going through that. And it just sort of snowboarded to me watching like Scuzz. Yeah. and Kerrang! before school every single morning. And, yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as I got home, I was... Yeah, I was actually quite obsessed. I used to be glued to the TV, just watching <laughs> the same videos go over and over yeah, again. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, from that, I just sort of got into it. I suppose, like, um, kind of going a little bit further back, because I was exposed to it a bit earlier, because I used to play Tony Hawk Pro Skater and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, SSX Tricky. Yeah. Um, so it had lots of, like, kind of... Um, like skate punk and skate stuff. Kind like, of yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, so I was always into sort of some 41 and things like that because of now 49 and Blink-182 yeah. and, Blink <laughs> yeah. and yeah so it was kind of like a mix of things I think lots of different things got me into it and like I think they all had a little contribution to like pushing me into my current path yeah yeah so obviously from that like you mentioned kind of watching Scuzz and things and I think a lot of people our kind of generation like were similar in sort of they as you say kind of watched the same videos over and over and I remember for me, it was like the Roadrunner, like drilling the vein, like tapes and stuff. Just literally watching like Fear Factory, Slipknot, and things like that over and yeah. over. So, what kind of bands from that that obviously you mentioned like Linkin Park, but what were the ones that you sort of latched onto specifically when you were sort of divulging into it yourself a bit more? Uh, so, uh, when I think like I was about year nine, I was about thirteen, fourteen, and I got like fully into my like obsession mm. um and haven't stopped since uh when i and i back then i was listening to a lot of 
Trivium, Bullet for My Valentine, and Kill Switch Engage because right. they were like the big three at the yeah, time. Like, yeah. They were so big at my school. Like everyone, like all the little Grebos in the corner had their CDs <laughs> yeah. and were like trading, like yeah, like kind of CDs to listen at home because. Yeah, we had dial-up back then, so we used to have, yeah, like, yeah, I used yeah. to try and pirate stuff, and like my aunt would call from America and knock out the whole connection. And I'm like, no! <laughs> um, and that was when like CDs were at twenty pounds. Like I remember, yeah, yeah. like spent like saving money for like a month, like with my pocket yeah, money to yeah. buy them. And I was just like, I'm gonna like this album. I've worked for it. <laughs> um, yeah, kids have got it easy now. I can yeah. just be like, oh, I'm just gonna use my family Spotify yeah. account. Um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, it was those three bands, and then. Um, uh, as I Like Dying and Slipknot. So Slipknot was a funny one because I used to find them scary when I was younger. Right, okay. And like, but I didn't realise that they weren't as like heavy as something as say Cannibal Court yeah, because yeah. of their imagery. Um, and it took me until about, I mean, I was like just after 14 uh, before I started listening to them because I was more into sort of like Billy Talent um, and then Shikari and Gallows were really big back then yeah, as well. Yeah. And then Architects were starting to like climb yeah yeah because like especially in like southern schools like I think it's sort of almost caught on like down south a bit more because of like area because I think um on Shikari from yeah 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 so down the road and then we had um Yumi at six and they were from the Weybridge area yeah yeah and yeah we used to like kind of go outside when we were like 14 like uh, Guildford backline and like drink outside and yeah. get kicked out because the venue was oversold and yeah, yeah it was a really fun time actually I, it's funny you've mentioned like being scared of Slipknot so I wasn't I wasn't scared of like what they portrayed because I remember they um, I think it was The Way You Bleed was on one of like the videos yeah. that I had but they played Portsmouth Guild Hall I think it was like, maybe the first like UK tour they did that's sick um and obviously my brother's a little bit older and so he was already going to gigs but I was considered too young to be allowed to go to shows at this point um but my parents dropped like my brother and a friend of his off at the show and I was sort of like oh, I want to go something but when we picked them up they were like it was so violent there were people throwing chairs and all this sort of thing I was sort of like okay maybe it's good that I didn't go sort <laughs> I had of good thing. parents yeah yeah, yeah. but um you mentioned kind of like so whereabouts did you actually grow up uh literally like uh, across the road from here so like oh, so west by feet sort of woking way yeah yeah um yeah so in terms of kind of you going to shows like was there much anything going around here or did you have to sort of travel to i guess sort of like kingston is sort of like the next yeah so i never really went to kingston weirdly enough so Basically, um, our local church used to put on shows. Oh, sick. Um, so, like, it's Christchurch and Woking, and that's where, like, we'd see Open the Skies, which is uh, Josh McEwen's old band, who's in Palmerina now, mm. um, and Death of Honor, believe it or not, and they used oh, to play oh, yeah, below yeah. them, which is quite funny. So <laughs> um, and then we had, like, a... Yeah, like, the, it's really weird. So the, um, the sort of people who worked at the, the church, they were just, like, into sort of bands and stuff. Oh, okay. And... Uh, they would run like youth clubs um, that I would go to and like sort of there's like a Woking Y-Pod centre which is like this little sort of community um, room and they used to, we used to have like kind of deathcore bands and stuff because oh, that was back when like Bring Me Horizon and 
um, who else? Like Whitechapel. Yeah, yeah. Like Amur were just like in full like explosion mode. Yeah, yeah. And like everyone had like the black hair, the, the straight fringe, fringe yeah. skinny jeans. Like everything was just completely like, yeah, it was just blowing up. Even in like Woking, there were so many people. Um, it's kind of died now, which is quite sad. But yeah, we used to go there. So like the church. Um, the Wirepod Centre, or um, we used to go to Guildford quite a lot. Right, yeah, um, yeah. The backline centres. Oh, yeah, backline yeah, yeah. practice rooms, even. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, was it a case of, I guess, from discovering, like, those sort of earlier bands that like, you said kind of got, like, a little bit addicted to, to it sort of thing, was that instant, like, gravitation towards it, like, that I, I want to be a part of this, or was it at that sort of early stage was it still kind of admiring it from afar like I like this music but I don't know what to do with it sort of thing in terms of kind of yeah like sort of a bit of both so like I was playing guitar at 14 um but I was quite an impatient kid like right. I, I wanted it to be like amazing yeah, yeah, with yeah zero yeah. effort and zero time being yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'd get quite like quickly frustrated like I got to like an okay like standard yeah I'm very much like that like yeah my brother played guitar so I was like oh yeah he can teach me and like I I know now I'm completely cat candid so I was like picking it up I was like trying to do buddy Iron Man or Black Sabbath and I just couldn't do it and I was like oh that's what I can't do it I'm just not going to bother yeah fuck it yeah. so that's <laughs> yeah. what I did <laughs> um, yeah like so I yeah so I, I actually kind of so I couldn't be bothered to sit down and learn an instrument um, I was like far more interested in like just trying to get like strong but I'm, I'm not cool I'm not I don't think this is cool at all I think it's quite tragic trying to get strong bows to go down the park and like yeah, listen yeah. to like my friend's CDs and stuff and that was like and going to shows was my main thing. Um, and then I eventually got into photography, actually, for bands. Right. And I used to do... <laughs> I used to do MySpace layouts for bands. That oh, was sick. My, that's how I used to earn my CD money. <laughs> little, little side gig. Um, you had HTML codes. And oh, that. yeah. Like, I used to, like, plagiarise HTML <laughs> layouts and just tweak them. Um, that's all I did. <laughs> um, yeah, so I used to do that. And then, I like, gradually, after sort of meeting Sammy, he was just like, why don't you just doing vocals ago yeah and then yeah I just did that so you mentioned obviously guitar like what kind of drew you to that was it just the fact that you were into sort of like the the sort of heavy music and you were seeing people kind of play guitars that you wanted to sort of pick something up yeah so like my mum wouldn't allow drums in the house <laughs> so yeah. like I think it's a classic thing like drums are too big and too loud yeah yeah um, but yeah I did like the idea of guitars because like I always sort of liked the um Liked watching things like John Mayer and and John Frusciante. Yeah. Frusciante. That's how, I don't know. That's how I say his name anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, who else was there? Yeah. So like, I've definitely always been gravitating towards like kind of guitarists and vocalists. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I'm just a loud person. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of kind of sort of doing vocals, I guess like prior to employed to serve, do you sort of dabbled in doing anything or uh no not not in a band sense yeah. um i did when i started off doing um vocals i sort of did like kind of uh suicide silence covers right uh I did like one on youtube and uh <laughs> if that still exists i need to find it <laughs> I, it doesn't unfortunately i did i did remove it um i don't know why actually it wasn't like like cringy actually, yeah, it was yeah. Quite cringy. but <laughs> Uh, it would have been funny now in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, like, had you done... But had you done, like, any other 
bands or is employed to serve like your only band it's my first band yeah that's nuts like to consider like where you guys are now is i think <laughs> i don't know it's just i think a lot of people they kind of obviously like weed out the chaff sort of thing like early on but for you to like it be your one and only band that's pretty pretty rad i think well, um, so like I had sort of, I wasn't ever in a band, but Sammy didn't let, so Sammy and I have been going out since we were 16, for yeah. a very long time, um, and he used to be in loads of different bands, and well, I, he still is, well yeah, he's still, <laughs> actually yeah, he's in more bands than he used to be in, um, but yeah, I used to drive his bands and stuff, because uh, okay. I passed my, my test when I was 17, um, and he didn't until he was like what like 21, 22 right, okay. so it was a good like 3 to 4 years of me driving his bands around because no one else in his bands could drive yeah yeah, yeah. but like um, yeah so I used to just drive him around and I'd obviously see the inner workings yeah yeah and I, I kind of feel like I had almost an experience through them like, yeah 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 like vicariously through him to like be like oh okay maybe I won't do this yeah. like I'm not <laughs> playing like Scunthorpe on a Monday night because yeah. it's not going to be a good turnout <laughs> Um, so I kind of learned things like that. Um, I, think, I think that helps. Yeah, yeah. So then, before we kind of get fully into the sort of employed to serve world, because I, I think, obviously, you were doing the band at the time, but when we first met, you and Sammy were doing shows. Uh, what was the venue? Was it the Unicorn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So was that a case of, like, okay, it was an opportunity for you to put on your band, but, like, to kind of a way of getting involved in that community as well because I it very much was for me like I wasn't doing a band at the time so I wanted to sort of do something in that sphere so the next best thing was to put it on instead so was that kind of a reasoning behind it yeah so like basically no one wanted to book our band like I spent ages like I hassled so many promoters and I joke about it with that now Um, (laughs) and like I used to be like hey god but no one would book us and then um, so the Camden Unicorn had this really sweet deal where they would give you um, like an advance like they would just take the bar money oh sick they would give you go like oh like here's 200 quid oh wow sick so literally like that and it was free entry so like it was perfect and it was in Camden which is like really well like connected to like the tubes and mm. stuff so what we do is we were like well i, I want to play with bastions bastions how much do you want yeah and yeah. they're like oh well, this much we'll put them on pass the opening yeah, yeah we just did that for years i think there was like one year where we must have played the camden unicorn about 11 to 12 times like, <laughs> yeah. like we lived in that place you might as well have had a residency and um i used my student loan to put on like wolf down um yeah, yeah. at the the grosvenor in, in Scotwell as well um yeah, like just did loads of stuff like that, really. Yeah. So yeah, that's how we did it. We just wormed our way in. So you, <laughs> you mentioned uni, like I saw this somewhere else. I want to bring up. What did, did you do animation? Yeah. So, like, I don't know, because I, I, I like to think I have a creative mind, but when I try and do stuff creative, it just sort of falls a bit flat, sort of thing. So, what kind of interested you in that sort of world world of things? Was it just like growing up watching sort of stuff that you wanted to give it a go like what kind of put you on that path yeah so like I've always been like a a very um creatively driven person um like I've been drawing like I don't do it much anymore but I used to draw a lot yeah um experience photography I sort of dabbled in music and stuff so I sort of 
I had like this really um, weird period where I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Um, it's quite it's quite rubbish actually because I was like, oh, I, I kind of I kind of like a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know what to do. So like when I left college, I was a bit like, oh, you know, I don't want to work full time in retail because it sucks. Yeah, like, yeah, I have yeah. one already and, it, and it's rubbish. Um, and then I was just like, oh, like. I really like drawing and I really like the idea of animation so I just did a 3D animation degree yeah um, and then realised that it's a lot of just sitting in the dark in front of your computer screen not talking to each <laughs> yeah. other and getting stressed and that for me is just like a nightmare because you know I'm quite, I'm quite a chatty person yeah 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 and I remember um, towards the, the end of my, my degree we went to visit this uh, special the music, moving picture MC, MPS uh, moving picture no it was one of the new, like, the big, like, uh, special effects companies right. that allowed, like, kind of university students to go around. And they were, like, showing us around, going, oh, yeah, if you're a runner, you'd be here. And they'd open, like, this isn't even a lie, like, they'd open the door up and there would be, like, a sea of faces, like, kind of in unison looking at you. And it would just be pitch black because yeah, the colour yeah. graders were in the same room, so they had to, like, draw the curtains. And it was in the middle of summer. And I was just like, man, this sucks. Like, <laughs> nah, like, not doing that. Like, um... So, but I did finish my degree. I got, I, I finished it, sorry, to the best I could. And then I was just like, I'm doing this band. Because, like, during uni, I started doing, like, the demos and stuff with e uh, right. DTS. And I was just like, oh, this is, I might as well do this. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to work full-time in retail and just do a band and see how it goes. Yeah. So, in terms of ETS actually starting, I can't remember if I even asked Sammy this at the time. I probably did. But, like, where what was the conversation for, like, the band actually becoming a band like what what was the sort of thinking behind it so uh i think what it was uh so yeah sammy wrote an ep yeah and i just did vocals on the ep and like at the time oblivion ice's old band were working with chris from warg records uh it's this like little label in germany yeah um and he was just like oh like chris do you want to put this out and this is like a complete like drum machine yeah because I remember it was like very like bedroom project the first sort of yeah, thing wasn't massively. it yeah massively like the first two EPs in fact were very much recorded in the well it's a backroom project yeah there? our little like kind of stu like makeshift studio but um yeah so like that happened uh but then like it kept like we sold out of all of the tapes and stuff and kept selling um like the represses and that and then um, we sent it to um, Grindcore Karaoke, which yeah. is like a member of um, Agrophobic Nosebleed. Um, Jay Randall, yeah, he's the one who runs it. Um, and he really liked it and he released it digitally on his band camp. And right. that was at a time where like Cloud Rat and bands like that started. Right. Um, and yeah, we just kind of got traction from that really. Um, and then, yeah, we were just like, oh, well, it's going well. People obviously like it. Let's like see if we can do it live. Yeah. Um, and then Sammy at the time was going to ACM in Guildford. Right. And he posted, like, that we wanted a drummer. And then uh, Robbie, our, our drummer now, um, picked it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Just from there, really. But, like, what was there kind of... Obviously, I know, like, as you say, Sammy had kind of written the demo and things. But for you, was there kind of, like, any preconception of, like, what you wanted to, to sound like? Because if you hadn't necessarily done vocals before... Yeah. Like, I remember the first time I did it, I was sort of like okay, I want to sound like this, but then what came out sounded completely different yeah. sort of thing. So was there like a, an idea of what you wanted things to sound like? Because obviously nowadays what people hear is 
I mean this in a nice way, but it's a million miles yeah. away from what it was back in those days. Sort yeah, of thing. massively. So, yeah, was there kind of like an idea of what you wanted to sound like? And was that achieved or was it a bit of a mix and match sort of thing? Um, so my sort of main bands when starting this band was Norma Jean. Yeah. And Chariot and like a bit of Converge and stuff like that. But yeah, I couldn't sound like them at the beginning. <laughs> like, it just like, yeah, I'm not really fond of my old vocals, but um, a bit of hay, it was, it was like a progress thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was a lot like shriller and like a bit more sort of grindy yeah, uh, yeah. back then. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. I did used to listen to a lot of, oh, well, I still do a lot of, listen to a lot of agoraphobic nosebleed as well. So I guess that kind of came through, like yeah, sort yeah. of higher kind of vocals. Um, but it took me quite a while. I'd say like it's only in the past, it took me about two years to kind of get to like the sort of like the deeper one that I do now. Mm. Um which I'm, I'm finally happy with. Yeah, yeah. But it took me so many years of just, like, finding it out. Because with, like, guitars and stuff like that, there's only a finite, a finite amount of uh, things you can do to make it sound different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with your body, like, it, it changes of age. Like, so I've been doing this band for, like, five years now. Yeah. So, like, that, I think, like, I definitely think my voice has changed anyway. Like, yeah. not, like, in, like, damaged or anything, but I feel like it's, like, developed. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, and stuff like that. So, like, you just change. And, like, if you get tired, it changes. And, you know, because I worked out that, oh, it's because I keep recording really late at night after work <laughs> that I'm strained. And yeah, then I was yeah. like, oh, shit, I'll just do it in the day. Like, it's just weird things like that. Um, but, yeah, it takes a while. And there's a lot of it psychological as well. Yeah. And, like, obviously, from where you guys are now, like, again, sort of like even musically, like, I think you kind of mentioned sort of like the Norma Jean sort of influence but like obviously now I guess there's still elements of it in there but I don't know like in terms of kind of where things moved was it a case of I don't know just like what you guys were were listening to kind of change things up or did things just sort of naturally move in in a sort of heavier less sort of scrappy direction uh, it's totally a bit of both. Mm. Um, so after a couple of years of playing our sort of like kind of uh, scattier kind of music, uh, we kind of realised we really liked the groovier stuff. We like enjoyed playing that live a lot more. Yeah. Um, so that sort of like kind of contributed to it. And also our, our musical taste, like we always like kind of listen to the same bands, but like it sort of develops as you get kind of more entrenched in the scene. Um, like so like, you know, we started listening to a lot of like Will Haven. Yeah. Um, and like kind of going back to old classics like um, like Fear Factory like Slipknot yeah yeah because like you know we are all new metal kids like we, <laughs> we grew up yeah, yeah. in the new metal era um, and like you can't help but it have like bleed into your music slightly um, yeah so it's basically that, that kind of thing yeah so it's just basically a bit of both yeah um, I'm realise I'm jumping around my timeline a little <coughs> bit but like for when you so when obviously you did the first sort of demo, as you say, it was recorded kind of here, like in the back room sort of thing. There wasn't necessarily in in the early stages of idea of doing it live, but when that idea sort of started sort of entering out, like I guess for Sammy it's a bit different because I'm not saying he's hiding behind a guitar, but he's got an instrument that he can sort of use and things, but. 
you are the focal point of yeah. a lot of things and obviously you hadn't done anything before so what was that kind of experience like for you like I've known you for maybe four years now and like I know you as Justine like as you say a really shy really bubbly sort of person but like was it quite like in like a daunting thing to kind of go into because you are quite a confident person but I can imagine the first times sort of doing it maybe not so or mm. did it just sort of feel like oh no this is this is natural sort yeah of thing yeah so that's actually quite funny so like my I feel like I was quite um I wasn't as confident I definitely wasn't as confident back then I was yeah. as I am now um naturally as you get older you just become a bit like oh, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I am how I am yeah yeah um but like yeah so like before like I mean I'll be honest like I was terrified like I almost threw up um before our first show I got very drunk before our first show <laughs> um and it was actually quite funny so like yeah it definitely was a progression thing um I think it got to the point like I think it was literally last year mm. when we played after download festival I was like right nothing's going to be as scary as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had that in my head, like, this whole of last summer. Um, and I think it's, like, I finally found my sort of stage presence recently um, because I had, like, a real problem with, like, locking your time and stuff right, like that okay. before. And it's something I've had to really work out over the years. Like, I have to run the set about, I don't know, at least a couple of times a week and every single day on yeah. the build-up to a tour just so I'm solid. Because I just, I didn't have natural rhythm because... I didn't come from a musician background as such. No, no, no. Um, and I actually later found I'm, I'm better at guitar now because I understand why. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I could, in theory, I could play it, but like I was like, it doesn't sound the same. Yeah, yeah. And it's because of timing. Um, so it's only something I've developed, like, well, hopefully I'm still working at it, uh, the past, like, literally about a year or two years. Where yeah, I've been yeah. like, oh, this makes sense. Like, <laughs> it was like a weird sort of light bulb moment. Um but yeah, since like then, I'm like, oh, I can like, I can do this. Yeah, yeah. I've been like, oh, cool. So now I can work on like my stage sort of presence and stuff like that. I think the biggest thing I had, I worked out was like I can push the other members out of the way if they get in my way. Because <laughs> I have like a little sort of prowling sort of yeah, line. Yeah. Um, and they just know to sort of stand back from the yeah. <laughs> So I was like, oh, if I hit them first, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's like, this is Justine's space. This is my fuck, space. Fuck off, something. Um, something else that I kind of want to talk to you about, like before we go fully banned in, I I always find it sounds weird me saying this, but I always find it interesting to speak to females that are involved in the like alternative world to get their perspective because I'm a white male, I don't have that perspective. But like, I don't know. Like since I've known you, you have always been someone that's kind of fully involved and like I think for some people they are just kind of in the scene like yeah. but you are you've obviously say you've put on shows you did photography and stuff like that and like obviously when ETS started taking off like you helped book the tours and things like that so was it I don't know like was it difficult getting your foot in being a a female doing all those things or did nobody kind of take notice because I think like when I booked you guys like it wasn't an issue like yeah it was just sort of like oh cool yeah I want to book your band sort of thing but I can imagine like 
some people, back, especially back in the early days, like I mentioned this to sort of Jamila as well, like people still kind of saw it as a bit of a novelty. Yeah. Like, yeah, so what was it sort of hard going or did you not really find much pushback? I mean, I suppose it's tough because I don't know what it's like to be a white male in the same <laughs> But like, um, but so I, I, way, like growing up, I used to very much play sports like right. all the time. I was like on the basketball team, I was on the football team. So I was constantly, I've like from a very, very young age, since I was five years old, I've been used to being in a very male dominated right, okay. um, sort of you know, area, yeah. basically. Um, so I think I've kind of taken that like with me to the bands. Like I've just always been very much like I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's not like you know I've obviously had like obviously but like yeah I've had people like kind of assume I'm not the promoter. Um, I've had people assume that you know I've had security guards not let me into my own shows. Yeah, um, that was really fun. I almost messed up, missed our set because um, the security guard wouldn't let me in. Um, I mean he was just doing his job. I just didn't have like a. A pass, pass or anything, or anything yeah. but like I was just sort of like I'm pretty sure if I was a dude let me yeah, in yeah 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 because um, I literally watched our guitarist go and just before me with nothing so yeah, I was a bit yeah, like yeah. oh come on <laughs> come on now um, but I think it will change um, but yeah I've just been I've always just been quite you know one of those people who's just been like oh, I just I'm here yeah yeah do, do you know what I mean like I've just this is what I do and if you don't like it then you can stand over there <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I just think, well, because I think like, part of the reason I asked that is because obviously mm. in the last couple of weeks there's been a few articles written in Mel Hammer that are sort of addressing the issue. And there's still, like, to this day, like, twats essentially that don't want to get on board with women in the metal scene, which I just think's bizarre, especially when you've got bands like yourselves Ithaca who are just absolutely killing it this year Svalbard like really good friends of mine but again another band that are just absolutely smashing it but like it shouldn't matter like but people yeah. still I don't know it's just I think and obviously like we'll get on to kind of your role in Holy Roar in a, in a bit but like from your perspective of doing that as well like is it is it frustrating like still seeing that? So, I have never been very vocal about anything to do with my gender. Yeah. At all, like I've I very much be like this is like I'm literally all about the band. I can care less about anything. <laughs> else. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm very single minded on that. So I feel like sometimes when you like, and I'm obviously saying not that you shouldn't like kind of voice your opinion because I think it's super important. Yeah. Um, that I think it almost brings them out of the woodwork. Right. Because I personally don't, you know, get much. I mean, I also get hilarious YouTube like comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're so funny. Um, but, like, yeah, more often than not, like, I don't really get... Um, this is where I'm inviting it on this podcast now. <laughs> um, I don't really get stuff on Twitter or anything like that. Um, because, like, yeah, because of the kind of lyrics I write aren't, you know, anything to do with, like, equality and things mm. like that. I kind of don't really see it, but I see a lot of bands that have that. Yeah, yeah. And I can see that. I can see, oh, okay, so the opposite is happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't really get get much of that. Um, but, yeah, like, it's there's always a few. Like, there's always, like, some weird guy. Yeah. And, but it's just kind of, like, life at the moment. <laughs> I, think it, I think it will improve. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
let's say we'll get fully into ETS stuff now. So right off the bat, like when you guys kind of started doing live shows and things, like as you say, you kind of had a residency at the Unicorn bit, but you were very active in sort of seeking out town shows and stuff. Like did what was the first tour you did? Uh, that was exhaustion. That was it. Yeah. So, and then, so like after that, I think was the one that I booked the one. I don't know. Was that the one with Razor as well? Was that the same one? Or was that that was our third ever Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, you've always kind of had that mentality of like, right, that one's done now, on to the next. And so, so, so was it always kind of like that kind of, we want to be on the road, we want to be active? Or again, was it again something that just sort of, seem to naturally kind of snowball and happen uh so a bit of both once we got the sort of like first couple shows out of the way and i felt like oh okay i can actually like hold my dinner down now <laughs> yeah. um and then i was just sort of like i literally worked like i mean in hindsight it was pretty easy like the but the most boring job yeah like so i used to sell like apple computers for like a premium reseller okay um and it was like dead like like 80 percent of the time but i had the internet uh, okay, um, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. so i wouldn't like my, my brain wouldn't melt i would um i just book tours and hassle people on facebook so well, basically it's a result of me just having too much time and being bored <laughs> yeah. um and i'm very much a person who needs to keep moving and keep yeah, sort yeah. of like kind of setting new goals otherwise i just kind of i don't know you i always kind of feel like i'm one of those people who feel quite lost if i haven't got a lot of things going on to keep myself yeah busy. yeah and in terms of kind of like not necessarily recognition but I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains like what the first thing I saw you guys and I was like oh like this is kind of like bigger than just sort of like a DIY band now but like you you mentioned kind of like setting goals and things so was there like always kind of a mindset of like because you you mentioned earlier again like obviously putting your focus into the band was there always sort of like a mindset of like right we need to push as far as we can go in one sort of I guess rung of the ladder and then that will propel us onto the next or like I don't know because like some people like things just seem to happen and sort of like get the wind behind them and then off they go yeah but you obviously you guys have put in a lot of hard work and it's now paying off so was it that sort of like, right, we're going to work hard to get where we want to? Or again, was it a sort of a combination of the two things? Yeah, it was a bit of both. So like when we started the band, I'd always be like, so we, we kind of were mainly like really um, inspired by Heavy Fest in uh, right. 2012. And that's when I sort of saw those bands and I, I kind of started making mental lists in my yeah. head of things I wanted to achieve. Like main one was like signed to Holy Raw. Like, yeah. Um, Man, I, I booked Parizo so many times just so I can like be friends with them. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm genuine friends with them now. Um, <laughs> uh, not really, but like, um, yeah, like, uh, yeah. So I could literally just sort of do, um, yeah, not in a contrived way. Like, obviously, like they obviously seem like really nice people, yeah, yeah, so I yeah. wouldn't hang out with them anyway. Um, but yeah, I do sort of things like that. I go, oh, if I do this, then this would happen. It was just sort of like a kind of like a weird little link in my head. Yeah, yeah. Little pathways. Um, but yeah, so like the first one was like, oh cool, like go on tour first thing, check, get signed to Holy Raw, check, yeah. and then let's like let's do our first European tour, let's do this, and then um, from that I uh, organised the Parizo ETS like Europe tour in oh, 2014. Yeah, 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 I 
And um, Fitz uh, from Holy Rock at the time was like, oh, I, I need a new intern. Like, you seem like really organized. Like, do you want to just be my intern? Yeah. And uh, I just never left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how that happened. Yeah, I think like life's have this, life has this really interesting thing of like opening doors for you. If yeah. You sort of like kind of, um, it's sort of kind of like a Jim Carrey movie, like Yes Man. Yeah, You're kind yeah, of like yeah. doing that sort of thing going, oh, it's like, I think like um, it's something that actually Alex from Holy always says he likes trying to take himself out of his comfort zone um, and that's sort of always something I've liked doing as well because mm. I think it, that's the only way you can kind of grow as a person and like feel accomplished a lot of yeah, the time yeah. um, so it kind of like sets in with me not being able to sit still for very long <laughs> yeah. and in terms of kind of like momentum behind you like obviously now on a third record but like without this sounding sort of cliche, there is a bit of hype behind you guys now. And obviously you mentioned sort of doing Download last year. It, I can't remember the name, how you pronounce it, the festival you guys doing in Holland? Is it, oh. You know, something in our air? Oh, Geronet. That's it. Um, but like obviously, and obviously for the record release doing The Garage and things like that, was there a moment where you kind of stepped back and were like, oh, okay, like, our band actually means shit to people now. Like, did you have, was there, like, a moment that, like, you noticed things sort of clicking? Yeah, like, massively. So uh, the first couple of times that happened was, like, the first few ETS tattoos people started sending us. Right. Because there's about, there's a good 10 people now of us tattooed to them. Oh, okay, that's Which is, like, insane to me. Like, I mean, that's not coming off unless you lose a limb, which I hope you don't, um, because that would suck. Um, but like, yeah, so that, when that happened and then I think another like couple of times is when we did that old blue last release show for our last album. Mm. And I remember like actually not being able to eat lunch because I was like, oh my God, it's like, what if no one shows up? Yeah, yeah. Like, even though it was a Friday night in London, but like, I was just, I have this horrible self doubt moment where I'm like, it's gonna be shit. It's gonna be awful. <laughs> like it's gonna be like having a birthday party and everyone bailing last minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember like opening the door like at doors at seven p.m. and it was like sold out. And I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna be okay. And then like it just went absolutely insane. Like I've never like experienced like a show go so mental. Yeah. Um, and then another one was like. Um, probably like download festival because we were on quite early we we're on like 1pm mm. and like the band before us like they, it was like an okay turnout but like there was a lot of space yeah and i was like oh here we go like this is our first download yeah yeah um and then like i remember going backstage to do my warm-ups and sort of like kind of like be composed and stuff and i just remember sort of walking up the stairs and i could just hear like so many people that like, I could hear them breathing. Yeah. Like they weren't even necessarily talking. I can just hear a collective breath. And I was just like, this is so many yeah, people. Yeah. Like, I think um, I'm quite bad at like judging this, but like our sound guy's quite good. He was like, oh, there's about 5,000 people. Sick. Like it was just like, I just remember like my heart and my throat going, yeah, oh yeah. no, you all turned up. <laughs> um, yeah. And just like, you know, it literally went insane. And I was like, this is crazy like this like literally this tent is filled out yeah, within yeah. about five minutes um and yeah most of them knew our band yeah. and i was just like oh holy shit people uh not just my friends are like <laughs> listening to us now <laughs> yeah. um so that's nice so like, 
for download, so I talked to um to Josh Williams, who's in Grove Street Families. So they obviously played. The, yeah, it was the same year as you guys, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And like, I was talking to him about his, his download experience because I'm never gonna have that experience. I know that. Like, I'm fine with this sort of thing. But like, did you? Because uh, for me. Like, if I walked out and saw that, like, my guts would be coming out of my other end sort of thing. Yeah. But, like, did you get the opportunity to enjoy it? Like, or was it sort of, like, a kind of out-of-body sort of, like, holy shit sort of thing? I think, like, during the last song, I was just like, okay, I'm going to try and enjoy these last 30 seconds. But, yeah, like, I was, it was a pretty much, like, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck <laughs> yeah. up. Like, because I could see, like, Daniel P. Carter in, like, the, like, kind of row in front. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, oh, man, I just don't want to fuck up in front of all these people. Because, <laughs> um, like, yeah, I just saw, like, and then I had, like, a mirror, yeah, like, yeah. watching us on the side and, like, um, like straight from the path, I think, we're watching. I was just, like, all these people, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, but I think, like, the next, um, I think next download I'll actually be able to enjoy it. I did enjoy it, but I felt, like, very much, like, kind of like that classic like pushed on stage yeah, lightning yeah. light and then just sort of like walking off and going oh my god yeah 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 um obviously like f- for me like the last record was kind of like your launching point i guess like obviously the first record i think uh, again i mean this in a nice way was kind of like a good benchmark sort of thing yeah but obviously one for dying sun was sort of like okay, now this is who ETS is sort of thing. And going like right back to where we sort of started, like that you were sort of very much that sort of Norma Jean kind of bit of grindcore, bit of like scrappy sort of stuff. But that record was very much like, no, we're a, we're a metal band sort of yeah. thing. So was that like a conscious sort of wave that you were sort of, Obviously, there are still elements of sort of like the squealing guitars and and things like that, but was it like no, we want to to be a metal band, we want to sort of go in that direction now? Like, was that a conscious string of thought? I think slightly, yeah, because we had to sort of like have our practices and stuff, and we were all like, um, so there's a couple of uh, songs on the first record, um, like the title track "Greater Than You Remember" and "Cold as the Rest." Um, which is a closing track and a few others in between that were definitely like kind of like groovier and like mm. dirgier and we were just sort of like we really like playing those songs yeah, like, yeah. the most out of all of it like um, yeah because we toured that album quite a lot and we were like do you know what like we really like that part of the set where we can like just kind of go like crazy yeah yeah um, yeah so we just sort of ended up going oh okay let's like try and like do a few more and then uh, we sort of like had a lot of songs on the album like that and we were just sort of like, oh, like, you know, this is something that we could, you know, really like enjoy playing. Um, and then at the time, like, you know, we've always like listened to things like Deftones and stuff like that. And that was definitely like a and Will Haven, obviously, yeah. from the same scene. Um, we were just like, oh, we enjoy this sort of route. Um, and we felt like it suited us as players as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so sort of, yeah, it's definitely a bit of both. And something that like... I'll be totally honest, I found this quite an interesting choice for you guys to do, so that's why I want to kind of ask you about it, but was it tail end of last year when you did, or earlier in the year, I can't remember, when you did the tour where you played the album in full? Oh, yeah. So, obviously, a lot of bands do that as kind of like a big celebration of, like, 
this is the 10th anniversary of this yeah. record or for some reason in these nuts case 11 years that they're doing at the moment which <laughs> is weird but like obviously that record is two nearly two years old now two years in May. yeah not even two years. Yeah. yeah two years in May. so yeah. what was the decision to sort of do that kind of thing so early on in your career and that album's life I mean, it's mainly because of like how well it was received. Like, it completely exceeded like even you know my little goals in my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we played like made a veil on it. Um, we got to play download on it. Uh, like literally like loads of bucket list things. Mm. And then like on, on top of that, it being Kerrang's album of the year as well. We were just like, oh, like this is this is great. And we sort of um, yeah, we wanted to do something special as our headliner and loads of people are sort of like saying oh you haven't played this live yet yeah and i feel like like i really love the grayer than you remember album um but i kind of felt like we've definitely sort of drawn a line under that ets yeah yeah and i kind of felt like to, like i kind of like the idea of fully embracing new us and be like okay right we're just going to do this start to finish yeah um yeah, and it was quite fun actually. Like, I got to play bass on the last song. Oh, sick! Because um, I don't actually have any vocal parts in the last yeah, one, yeah. so yeah, it was quite cool. Yeah, I was very much like <laughs> looking at my fingers. Yeah, yeah. Being like, how the hell does Rich and Sammy do this? <laughs> um, again, I'm going all over the shop with my timelines, but like one thing that many people might know, might not know, but there have been several member changes within sort of ETS, but obviously. Yourself, Sammy, and Robbie are kind of like the core that's been yeah. there the whole time. So, like, was there ever a moment when sort of like members were changing where you kind of thought, oh, this is sort of like not necessarily the end, but a bit of a stumbling block? Or has it always just been that by chance the next person's there ready to sort of swoop um, in? Yeah, I mean, it never crossed our mind to stop. Like, you know, um, those traitors left. <laughs> yeah, all good friends. Um, there was like, there was a time when I, I was like crossing off, like I, I do this thing where like a member leaves and I scribble out their little faces <laughs> on all my pictures in a very serial killer fashion. Um, but no, but what happened was basically it started being a real like band. Like we always like were a band, but yeah, yeah. it wasn't like just for fun anymore. We actually had sort of like ambition to sort mm. of like further it and you know that naturally like you know people sign up at the beginning being like oh cool like you know i gotta have my full-time job or like i got you know got this to pay for i got responsibilities and then i'll just do the band on the side yeah, yeah and eventually like it very much flipped on its head yeah and like members started losing jobs like having to change like you know it's between us we've been through jobs we've been burning through those jobs yeah, yeah, yeah. um apart from myself fortunately but um yeah, so like it just got to the point where like you know people just started tapping out and just being like you know look guys, it's not for me anymore because yeah. you know, touring is is tough like mm. you know you're, you're broke you like you end up sort of calculating in your head can I afford the Starbucks today <laughs> like it gets really sad like you end up being like oh I can't you know get this or I can't afford a bottle of water from a European service station because it's three euros yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Or the toilet, which is one euro. They've stopped, well, where we were, they've stopped doing that now. They, they? In France, anyway. Because 
I remember we used to get, like, when I went over with Saabab, we got stung with it loads. Yeah. But all the French service stations we stopped at, they stopped. So That's crazy. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, like, since I worked out, I once spent about 15 euros going to the toilet one tour. <laughs> I've never paid since. I've worked out if you, like... Actually, our old um, old intern, Rory from Holy Raw, taught me this. If you pull the turnstile towards you, yeah. you can slide in and walk through. Ah. Um, so I literally, any time, like, we always stop at service stations at 2 a.m. anyway. Yeah. Like, so I've just been, like, scabbing. I'm just like, I'm not. Because, uh, like, at the end of the day, it's a human right, and you yeah. get arrested if you get caught outside, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. decent exposure, so. I did, so. Call me cheap. I did, well, no, no, I did the classic, like, trying to hop over it once <laughs> but because I'm quite lanky my trailing <laughs> leg caught the barrier so I just kind of just just tumbled and yeah it wasn't it wasn't a good time oh I used to ungracefully crawl under <laughs> and like people would just yell at me in French and I'd be like oh sorry yeah, yeah. English yeah what, what can I say I need to pee sorry well that's the thing like guys like you know that's that's a shit thing about being a girl you can't wee in the van yeah and like those she thing she wee things just weird me out and like I can't go in a jar. Yeah. Oh, Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, if your yeah. girls go to the toilet, it's like putting a thumb over a hose. Like it just goes everywhere. <laughs> so it's just like it's just the worst situation when you're on a ten-hour journey and being like, I'm not paying a euro for yeah, the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's um, that's fair enough. Um, lots of info about logistics. There, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's cool. Um, before we kind of get onto the new record, I do want to sort of talk about Holy Roll a little bit. Yeah. Like obviously, you mentioned it kind of happened from like being fits and stuff but obviously your involvement has grown tenfold now so what is your actual role within holy raw nowadays because i i remember like when you first sort of started it like properly you were sort of more kind of doing the artistic sort of side of things yeah but like what's your your involvement now like what's your your what's your quote-unquote job title i guess uh, so, time-wise, I've been at Holy for five, yeah, fuck, five years. <laughs> five years in April, like this year is yeah. my fifth year. Um, so I started off as an intern, doing one day a week, and then I graduated to part-time after a year. Yeah. And then I've been full-time for the past three years, and then for the past two, I've been label manager. Okay. So, like, because when I did a label for all of... 18 months it yeah. was just me sort of thing but like obviously Holy Raw was a much bigger thing than the guy doing it from his bedroom sort of thing so in terms of kind of like seeking out bands and, and things like that like is that a lot of like your day to day or and like conversations with Alex like when you want to maybe I don't know like if I give a hypothetical if there's a band that you really like maybe hasn't necessarily because obviously i know a lot of bands approach labels mm. but there's a band that you maybe want to chase is it is that like your decision and then like you think oh, okay i'll run it by alex or is it like a 50 50 conversation how does that kind of work um so basically alex he um he's still very much like the sort of brains like he he basically does like the signings of signing of bands mm. like um, and things like that like his, he gets the final say like yeah. he's the sort of curator of Holy Raw and, uh, and always will be because he obviously you know like, uh, <laughs> I know this is a very you know, arrogant say but you know we've been doing alright from it so yeah, yeah. you know obviously why would you change it um, 
but uh yeah recently i have been finding more bands and i have been like kind of seeking his blessing to sort of like Make him sound like some overlord. <laughs> I've been asking him if he's like cool with me, sort of approaching them yeah, and yeah. things like that. So I've been actually, it's literally very recently I've started to do that more just because the amount of bands I tour with now, like I kind of know people like yeah, you know, yeah. who know people and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so Alex runs his um, side business, um, well, not side business, his other business, um, Ghostwell in yeah. Brixton, which is the beer shop. Um, so he's very much split between the two. Um, and with both, he sort of like chooses what beers to put. Like it's kind of quite funny. They're quite parallel businesses because he chooses what beers to stock the shop with, and then he also chooses what bands to stock the label. Yeah, with. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he sort of like curates um, stuff, um, and he does all the horrible things like pay the bills. Like going, Alex, <laughs> yeah. you need to pay this. Um, but yeah, so the like, things I do. Um, so I make sure that other vinyls coming. I make sure the bands are happy. I make sure the bands are giving me the stuff I need. Um, I kind of like oversee like you know I, I sort of generally manage everyone else so like Sam who's also full time at Holy Royal he's um, he sort of basically does a lot of mail order and customer service stuff yeah. um, and he, so we all there's no sort of hierarchy at yeah, Holy yeah, Royal yeah. like obviously like you know Alex is you know gets the final say on yeah. things and if we're you know fucking around he can fire <laughs> us obviously um, but generally speaking we have our own little areas that we sort of like bosses of if you yeah, know what I mean yeah. um, but I would have to make sure like you know Sam's getting on all right with his stuff um, you know just everyone's kind of generally happy but it's never like it's never like a weird stupid like I work in boots I'm a line manager like, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've always been like hated being micromanaged um, and I just think it's so pointless having several managers to like one member of staff yeah, and stuff. yeah. Um, so yeah we have our like our own sort of roles within, within Holy Raw and like Sometimes it crosses over, and sometimes you ask each other help and stuff. But it's very much a in level playing like field. Um, and then we have like Will part time, and he sort of like picks up on the stuff that me and Sam can't do, like yeah. sort of we delegate in like bits and bobs, like posting on the socials and stuff. Um, yeah, it's quite good. It's nice. Yeah. And in terms of kind of like, I guess the last sort of two years specifically, like I don't know, like from a music fan perspective like Holy Roar has been an absolute godsend for the last couple of years oh, so like has there like uh, I guess in terms of sort of rec- again recognition I hate using that word but like there there is a sort of uh, a crux to sort of Holy Roar like people see Holy Roar a band associated with Holy Raw and like without even sort of knowing anything about the band prior like it automatically gives them sort of a bit of impetus sort of thing so like I guess being inside that world like do you kind of see the outside of it where like people are hyped on Holy Raw rather than I guess if we take ETS as an example like okay you have grown as a band completely different but maybe when that first record came out people were maybe not that familiar with you but because you were on holy raw like there was that sort of crossover but so do you, are you kind of now seeing the other side of that sort of thing yeah massively so like holy raw i feel was like even like even when you know back when i i was a fan of the label mm. like they always definitely had a sort of sound and they had like even though they were like different bands were on the label different style bands you could almost be like oh no that is a that makes sense They're yeah, on yeah. Raw. 
Um, but I think that's just because Alex has been like wonderfully stubborn on not releasing bands he dislikes. <laughs> like yeah. I think that's just made him so trustworthy as a curator. Um, I hate using these like industry curator tastemakers. <laughs> I hate myself. Um, but as a, a, a well, he's a music fan. Yeah, yeah. Like he 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 knows what he likes, and like he has always been like. I'm not releasing it if I don't like it. Yeah. And I think that's just done him wonders because, you know, there's been plenty of labels who I really love who have been like, you know, released a bit absolute stinker and I'm like, oh, what yeah, happened there? Yeah. Oh, you kind of thought it would do well, but you don't really like it. Yeah. And I think people like cotton on to that. Um, so I think from a very early um, sort of stage, Holy Will had that sort of reputation of having quality. Um, and then... Uh, and in, in the last couple of years, I think it really coincided with our um, monthly subscription service. Yeah. So before then, we'd have to make, so, you know, at the end of the day, Holy Roll's a business and it needs to make money and yeah, pay yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so we couldn't necessarily put out bands that we absolutely adore. Um, but, the, you know, the band's like quite new and, and they haven't got a fan base yet. And we'd sell, what, like 20 records? Yeah, and we're yeah. like, well, that's not viable. Like, we have to like... Um, we have to go for a band that tours more. But because of this like subscription service, I'll do a little plug. So <laughs> for £20 a, a month, you get um, every like our new release that month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, loads of free digital stuff, like 10% off merch. And then it's on different tiers on like £15 CD and £10 for digital. So that's like grown like massively. Yeah. This is like, I think our third year in June um, of doing it. And it's been growing like it's, it's our main sort of like driving force of the label mm. now. Um, and that's basically allowed us to take on loads of risks on bands who like we couldn't necessarily sign before yeah. because we, they wouldn't sell many records enough to sort of break even. Um, and because of that, we've been like literally like finding like our favorite things like, you know, like um, loads of bands like, you know, say for example, like Miners from Canada, like yeah. they've never really like they've toured, I think they've toured the UK like once. They've, yeah, because well, yeah, we played with them last year. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so like bands like that who like like they're amazing. Like we love that band, but like you know, from a business point of view, we're like, oh, you know, well they haven't really like toured over here, yeah, and we don't have a Canadian store, so it's just one of those things. But because of that subscription service, we've been like, well, yeah, of course we'll release your record, yeah, yeah. and it's been like that for quite a few bands, and we've been managing to take a lot of risks on bands, and it's been you know, fortunately, much worse, <laughs> yeah. um, like really paying off and it's literally because of all the people who subscribe to us monthly who like have faith in our label who have like you know um, and it enabled us to you know continue to grow by like releasing more and more bands that we think mm. are good and I guess like, it's a bit different because Holy Roar is a, a sort of like a bigger label now but if a band was wanting to get Holy Roar's attention what would you say they need to do? Play shows <laughs> stop, stop emailing me yeah. loads like I mean I do we actually to be fair that's, that's really like flippant like, we no, do no, listen no, I get what you we mean. do listen um, to like everything we do listen to everything mm. like we genuinely do this is not me being like oh I'm so busy yeah yeah um, we do genuinely like go through every single contact form message but I'm just a bit like when I kind of um, so I, I like so I also write for Kerrang like I do a monthly mm. column where I shout out all the new bands and stuff yeah, yeah. like you know I obviously don't know every band or anything like that and I, I'm under no illusion about that but I, I feel like I have a good grasp of who's around at the moment yeah. and nine times out of ten if I haven't heard of you because you haven't played of any of our bands haven't played any local shows um, haven't done anything like that then I'm a bit like well 
what makes you ready for yeah, being yeah, on a label yeah. like Holy Roar. Like loads of our bands, like for example, um, Condra, they supported ETS a few times. Um, and like, you know, we just generally heard about them through playing shows yeah. and kept seeing their name about. I was like, well, these guys are doing really well. Like, because I feel like it's a two way thing. Because like some bands are under like an illusion that it's a record label's job to sell records. I mean, yeah. like, you know, it is, like, to some extent, but we obviously need the band's help. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so a lot of bands are like, here's a record, we've done our work, now you do yours. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we need you to sort of, like, especially with this kind of music, we need you to sort of tour and, like, advertise your band. Yeah. Um, and, like, there's so many bands who, like, email me going, this is a demo I recorded on my laptop, I've played no shows, yeah, so I have yeah. no lineup. will you release me? yeah. Well, no. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, like, I mean, if you work hard, like, we're um, very much a label that's sort of, um, you know, like, is, like, hard, you know, like, grinds hard and, like, works hard. And, like, a lot of our, all of our bands do as well. Yeah. So, like, we need someone with that work ethic to sort of match us. So it's not like, you know, so it's a two-way street rather than us just sort of carrying a band. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so long story short, play loads of shows. <laughs> get really good. <laughs> oh, in a roundabout segue obviously ETS new record isn't not coming out on Holy Raw so what was the decision to sort of make that step up and go for because it was Spin Palm is a bigger label and essentially I know I'm kind of answering my own question here but like obviously it's going to give you a bit more exposure yeah but I, I guess it could have been easy to sort of sit with Holy Raw because obviously Holy Raw is doing well but what was the kind of reasoning behind sort of going in that direction for the new record so um, Spine Farm uh, so they were they are a, a bigger label um, so we kind of felt like drawn from that way but also the flip side of it was I didn't want to continue working for the label that my band was on because right. what would happen was I'd end up neglecting a lot of employed serve stuff because I didn't want to seem biased <laughs> towards my own sure band. Enough. So there was yeah, this yeah. one point where I literally didn't post about ETS for about six months okay. on Holy Raw Instagram and stuff. And I was a bit like, this is like actually affecting my band. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I couldn't post too much because people were like, oh, I yeah, wonder yeah, why yeah, ETS yeah, yeah. is on the... Do you know what I mean? So like, I kind of really wanted a clear cut and also um because of like sort of it being like a, a major label and stuff like that um it would allow me to sort of learn how other labels do things yeah. and like it's actually been really like helpful because you know i've like through working with like other people in the industry i've been like oh why don't we do this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to say we start to like being a major labor or anything but like yeah there was quite a few like kind of doors that opened up and like new sort of contacts i made that would actually have ended up helping our bands on our roster because I've been exposed to this. Okay. Sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it was just it just made sense. Um, but it was a very tough decision to leave Holy Raw. Um, it literally felt like leaving like home for the first time, and it was quite hard for me. Who I've literally because you know obviously label manager, I've set up every single employee to serve release. Mm. I've overseen every single PR campaign and like everything like that. So it was actually quite tough for me personally handing it over yeah, to someone yeah. else. Um, but it's been going really well yeah. so I'm really glad like it's actually made me trust people because <laughs> I've always been like oh, not, not like that. I think I'm better or anything like that yeah but, but you want a sense of yeah. sort of like 
ownership Con- yeah and when control. it's your own band and things like that yeah um but no i think it's like i wouldn't at, at all take that decision back um and i think it's been like wonderful really yeah um yeah it was it was really tough like telling alex it as well he took it like i knew he would like take it completely fine like he was like oh that, you know that makes sense yeah yeah um but yeah it was, it was hideous <laughs> like breaking up with someone it was just like oh <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, I've got to go a bit journalist mode now because I need to talk about the new record. Um, I've been fortunate enough to hear it. It's fucking rad. It is, man. Um, but, like, in terms of kind of movement forward, like, I, I don't know, like, not regressive because that's the wrong word, but, like, the sound that you guys are going for is, again, a kind of a step in that sort of metal direction. But, like, obviously speaking to Sammy and knowing you guys in general and you said earlier coming from like a new metal generation like this record now feels more of that kind of thing so I don't was it like not because it's kind of a cool thing again now yeah because it's I don't think like people might sort of tag on to you but I think because I know you like I know it's not coming from that place but was it like, no, we just want to play the music that we have been listening to all these years and still listening to sort of thing? Was that the, the mm. reason for what it sounds like? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying there's definitely no decks on this. So. <laughs> uh, new Metal always conjures up uh, scratches and stuff. Uh, they got vetoed, unfortunately. But um, no, we were never going to have uh, scratches. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, um, I very much feel like it's a it's a, an obvious um, progression mm. from warmth. Like I still feel like there's very much a lot of like I feel like it's still very much us still. Yeah. Even back from like our earlier album, um, but like yeah, there was no sort of like kind of like contrived. Oh, like this is cool now. Yeah, yeah. Um, or anything like that because people see through that and like we'd know like is there's no point in sort of doing that kind of thing because I always find when. Like historically, when bands deliberately tried to change their sound to something that's cool right now, mm. it falls on its ass. Yeah, um, and like also with bands like um, Vane, Code Orange, and stuff, we're exactly the same age. Yeah. Like we're all in our mid to late twenties, and we were very much a part of the same era. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's like how like you know Machine Head, um, Kills, like all those sort of bands were sort of like you know didn't sound too similar but they, you could tell they were like the same oh, age so, yeah. the same era and like I feel like it's exactly the same it's just a new wave of bands who like grew up on Fear Factory on Nine Inch Nails on Slipknot um, on things like that um, but no I feel like we were very actually overly conscious of not seeming like we did that <laughs> yeah. and anyone who says we did we can just be like wow we've been a band six years Yeah, yeah. and you can see all of these kind of like um, progressive like kind of bits that we put in like our first record or even yeah, our EP yeah. back in 2014 so you could just be like well it just made sense for us it's yeah. just uh, it's just because we're a, you know a band from you know England because you know English bands um, they, obviously it's getting better now but a lot of English bands get overlooked because of yeah, America yeah. being such a a vast um, sort of uh, pool of bands yeah um, yeah so yeah naturally people are like oh I haven't heard of these guys this is their first album even though it's our third yeah <laughs> and things like that people people don't read into things much anymore from what we were talking about Axe to Grind earlier I thought it was funny that 
that when they mentioned Renounce and they were like, yeah, I think that band split up. I was like, no, they they just recorded their third record. Like, yeah, they're definitely still a thing. Yeah, just um, but it's classic though because I'm like that with like really big artists. Like, um, like I was like, oh, is it, I wonder if, what Dell's doing. Like, oh, still very well. Yeah, just not on daytime radio. Yeah, all the time. yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't actually thinking about Adele. Like, yeah, it's just a, an example. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I get yeah, what you mean. Yeah. Um, and in terms of kind of again, I've got. A, put my journalist hat on but like in terms of like lyrics and stuff because obviously you being the vocalist of the band you mentioned earlier that you've never really been one for sort of like saying being a woman and things like that in your in your lyrics so is there kind of a theme that runs throughout this record at all or is it just sort of about kind of the modern day like where where are you sort of putting influences from yeah so um i can only write about things that kind of get me um sort of excited or fired up and for me like things like politics and sort of like you know like the vast politics including gender politics Mm. and things like that have never interested me so i've always um sort of written about like personal experience or like those around me um and a lot of it's that and it's it's also like um a lot about almost like I guess like midlife crisis and not like quarter life crisis I guess and that lots of people are going through at the moment about this kind of whole like oh so you know like most people can't afford a house you know um people are you know this climate change is a very real thing like is there going to be a planet in 10 years and there's this whole like kind of like dealing with the whole social media boom of being like oh I actually can compare myself to a thousand people in 20 minutes. Yeah, How's yeah. that going to make me feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's sort of like talking about a lot of those kind of themes of like people, like a sort of very lost generation. Um, however, it's also like very a positive thing in the fact that um, it's about how time moves on, whether mm. you like it or not. So there's always time to change things. Yeah. Um, and no matter how you feel, like you always wish you started yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's almost kind of like it's kind of like oh, it won't matter in in a year or like things like that. Um, so like kind of when any, anyone's in like a bad situation, there's always like you, know, yeah, like solace in the fact you can just kind of keep moving. So yeah. it's just about what the album's about, just keep stri- like striving forward um, and just not standing still because mm. um, I don't think that's good for you. <laughs> and in terms of kind of like aesthetics i guess like one thing that instantly sort of screams out was the promo photo that you guys did obviously all in the ets like windbreakers and stuff and obviously in the video you were wearing them and things like that and because i know you guys Hmm. my brain instantly went oh slipknot sort of thing so i'm gonna assume that was a kind of a an influence on that idea but like is that something that you guys are not saying that, oh, yeah, you're going to be Slipknot and wear a uniform, but, like, was that, like, a one-and-done thing, or is that something that you're looking to maybe play with a bit more in terms of actually giving ETS an aesthetic, or am I reading too much into that situation? It was a conscious decision to make the band more uniformed um, because we like the idea that we are a unit. Mm. Uh, we, are, we are like a football team. <laughs> um, yeah. We like football. No, no, like, that's a, that's a like, good, good analogy. But I like, like it. I like always loved how like um, football is a big one. Like you know, uh, for quite a few of our members, and like I used to play football when I was younger as well. Um, it's we've loved that team mentality mm. that everyone's a unit, and that 
you know fans are part of that team they're yeah. like on the, you know they're like cheering you on and stuff so the idea is is that we've kind of created this sort of like you know this unit this this team of people who are just they're the same thing like you know our jackets are also available for like you know people to buy as well um and there's just something really fun about like coming to a show and like everyone's sort of wearing this uniform jacket yeah, it's yeah. like going to a football match yeah yeah um and it's as loud as a football match sometimes <laughs> um Yes, it's that. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. You know, obviously Slipknot and stuff have that uniform. Um, but, like, that's the thing. It's like a brand. It's like, you know, it's a kind of like a... Actually, not brand sounds, like, really horrible. But, like, um, yeah, I just feel like it's like a team mentality yeah, yeah. thing. And I've always liked that in bands. Um, so, yeah, it was just sort of like, you know, you just kind of want to be like a, a band team. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, that's fair enough. And, like, in terms of the the record as a whole, like... I think that obviously with warmth, as you say, it was kind of like that sort of moving forward, ironically moving forward, but like, I don't know, like from listening to this record, it's kind of like, okay, no, like this is where you've landed. Like this is the fit kind of thing. Yeah. So when you were like, cause I guess like, I know like practicing things through, sounds completely different but like when you were recording was there a sense of like oh no this is this is ets sort of thing yeah i feel like this album has like definitely like i feel like this is our band i feel Mm. like this would almost be like a (laughs) self-title if you know what i mean because um i feel like finally we've kind of worked our like uh sort of i guess like we kind of hit like a good playing field now. I feel like we've yeah, kind yeah. of we've like got elements of like all the bands that we sort of really love, sort of influencing with a mix of our own sound that we've developed over two albums. Yeah, like we feel like fully comfortable with like our writing process, like how we gel with each other live. Like it just like feels like like the warmth felt good, but like this just feels like really good. Like yeah, it feels yeah. comfortable. Like it feels like oh, this is meant to be. Yeah. Um yeah like i just it's really weird i can't even describe but i just remember listening it back and i was like for once like there was no doubts like i mean even if it falls flat on its face when it's out i'm just like well you know we loved it yeah we were really happy with everything we we spent ages like you know work on like tiny little bits to get them perfect um and yeah like we couldn't we couldn't be prouder of this album yeah and obviously i mentioned it briefly earlier but obviously doing the kind of record release show at the garage and I can't remember the, where is it in Scotland the other uh, the classic grand yes so firstly I'm annoyed at your dating because I'm out of the country so I'm <laughs> not going to be here but like I, I guess like for a UK band like well a UK metal band to be able to do a headline show at the garage in 2019 is a pretty fucking wild thing sort of thing so do you kind of I don't know. Is it just sort of like a moving of the times that people were like, there's our sort of age group that were sort of into the new metal sort of thing, but have kind of stuck with alternative music. But then there's also this sort of new wave of kids that are getting into Code Oranges and, and New Veins and stuff like that. Yeah. So do you feel because of that, that has afforded you that opportunity to do such a big headline show for your release show? 
Yeah, massively. I think um, actually, like the magazines have a really big role to play in this. Mm. Like, so which is nuts considering people thought, oh yeah, magazines are going to be dead in yeah whatever like, years. But if it wasn't for the support of magazines like Kerrang and Metal Hammer, like there's no way this would have happened for mm. any of these bands, um, because you know they're like they were taking punts on like small young bands, um, and it's paid off like massively. Um, I couldn't imagine the same scenario like four years ago, yeah, yeah. even for someone like Code Orange. Like, yeah. The fact that they had like someone like Roadrunner behind them, they had all the magazines, they had Revolver, Decibel, all of them like kind of like like flying the flag for them has like, yeah, because like, they, they, I think sometimes like magazines forget because everyone's like, oh, print's going to die. But they forget how much power they have yeah. over like what people listen to. They are... What I like, I literally used to like. They used to be my buy boy. Oh to yeah, buy yeah, yeah, every same. single week and go right, cool. What's cool in Kerrang and Metal Hammer? And I'd be like, let's buy these albums. Yeah, but yeah, they, yeah. they still have that. Like, even almost more so now because there's so much noise in terms of Spotify. Because there's so many bands coming out, it's actually like option like paralysis <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day. So you still need someone who is great at reviewing who has good context of the overall scene to be like oh this is eight out of ten it's worth your time yeah yeah um and i think like you know because of the magazines like really getting on board with young bands like it's actually possible again for bands like us to headline you know the garage Mm. really and before i sort of start winding down because i've taken up way more of your time than i expected but um very sort of start of this conversation you mentioned that influences were Norma Jean yeah you are going on tour with Norma Jean so is that kind of like a surreal thing that kind of things have come full circle oh yeah like it's, it's honestly crazy um I mean we even covered a Norma Jean song. yeah yeah um yeah like it's one of those moments it's like there's lots of little moments like that throughout this band that I've always been like this is really fucking cool because <laughs> yeah. sometimes you do like uh, everyone's guilty of this when they're sort of like you know sort of in like the rush of life and stuff to like be like start being complacent and things like that and be like oh I'm tired and yeah, things like yeah. that but then you like have moments like that and you're like this is why I do this yeah, like yeah. this is really fucking cool like I've been a fan of this band for like ever and like yeah, it happened when um, you know like when I met like you know Matt Heafy and stuff like that and he invited us down to his show and stuff and I was like I used to listen to Trivium yeah, in the yeah. playground like you know I was like a ma- yeah I still am a really big fan and and um, it was like oh, we like toured a funeral for a friend on our EP and I was just like this is like I actually almost cried side stage <laughs> um, because I was just like this was my favourite band when yeah, I was 13 yeah. and I'm literally like you know, playing on the same stage as them and, you know, like uh, doing that song with Jamie Lemon, like I watched Ruben at my first ever show um, when they supported Billy Talent. Yeah. There's just all these really cool, like, cool kind of moments where you end up rubbing shoulders of, like, with your heroes. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, Norma Jean's just another one of them where I'm just like, this is, this is cool. And, like, I guess uh, that's the thing, like, now, for me... Like personally, it's a really strange like juxtaposition like to think, oh, I put you on with with Razor Eater, to <laughs> seeing you like tour with Norma Jean, like stick to your guns, like straight from the path and all that. Like, it's like awesome to know that my friends are doing that, but it's also like really bizarre. So I can't imagine what it's like from the inside, like 
yeah, it's just it's just strange. It's really honestly crazy, but I think like well, because we've worked, we've gone from literally the bottom. I mean, I mean, real bottom. We've played to like bar stuff, yeah, yeah. and the promoter before, like, and like really slowly and. Um, and again, I'm sorry for the wanky term, organically, <laughs> um, like kind of climbed the rungs. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it's comfortable, it feels good, like it doesn't feel like, you know, we're overshooting. I could eat my words, we could be coming crashing down <laughs> this time next year. But like, I feel like it feels good and I feel like we won't sort of like kind of drop because yeah, yeah. I always see these bands who come out of nowhere, get massive, play one big venue and like nosedive, but because... I think when bands do it slowly and over time, like you know, like you know, Code Orange is once again a great yeah. example. Like I, I saw them support Full of Hell and Circle Takes a Square in two thousand twelve, yeah, yeah, The Underworld. Yeah. And, you know, and now they're far bigger. Um, but yeah, I think bands. I think that's the way to go. Really, you know, you got you got to slowly build. Yeah, well, it's like on a complete sort of opposite sort of end of the scale. Like um, when I was away, we were talking about the band Doe. And like they've kind of done a similar thing, but in a different genre. Like we were saying, like five years ago, they were sort of the opening bands, but now they've just sort of kept grafting and grafting and grafting. And all those bands that they were sort of supporting five years ago have dropped the bay by the wayside. But because they've kept going, they're now the headline act, sort yeah. of thing. So yeah. I guess it's kind of just got to make everyone else split up, and then eventually. <laughs> I mean, what, Parizo, yeah. Razor, it might as well be gone. Let it die, died. Yeah. Uh, so we let Ke- them die. That's uh, yeah. uh, Who else? Kerouac. Kerouac. Oh, they were pre-us anyway. Oh, were they? Bastions, they died. Yeah. See, look, we're just killing every band. <laughs> so this is, this is that's, where you the climb plan. their corpses to the top. <laughs> that's the real answer, isn't um, it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like it's just really funny with that kind of whole thing because I, I obviously still I, we haven't changed as yeah, people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might just ask for green M and M's on my rider, but you know, it's just, <laughs> just how it goes. But like I heard about my um, my younger cousin who's like ten, who like has like my like the Kerrang cover with me on oh, it, sick. and it showed me off to like. So it's weird to me because like I was like her show and tell sort of. Oh, that's project. really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really sweet. And I was like, oh, I've made it. I'm cool to my little cousin <laughs> yeah. who's ten. Because when they get to ten, they get a bit like, mm, you're not cool anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff. I'm still cool to a ten year old. That's so right. I'm happy with that. That is awesome. Well, I will start to round off now. Um, how I end my show usually is to ask my guest what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what is your favourite ETS song that you like to play live, and why? Ooh, I spend my days. Yeah. Just because uh, it's the one people know the words to. <laughs> um, still gives gives you a bit of a break. Yeah, it gives <laughs> you a bit of a break. Um, yeah, it's just one of those like I really enjoy playing it because it's one of like. One of our easier but heavy uh, songs. Yeah. Um, and also, I like to imagine it being our, like, let the body, bodies hit the floor. Like, uh, okay. one day I want to walk into a metal nightclub. Metal club and they're playing that. And, yeah, that would be my dream. That's my real dream. Like, sod Metallica. <laughs> I want to be played at Slimelight. Perfect. Justine, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate All it. Right. Cheers, dude. So there we have it folks, thanks again to Justine for taking some time out of our evening to have a little chat with me. Uh, Employed to Serve are currently on tour with Norma Jean uh, in the mainland Europe at the moment, so if they're coming through a city or town anywhere near you, 
uh, make sure to go catch them because uh, they always put on an absolute cracking live show. Uh, here in the UK, they're obviously doing uh, release shows on, I believe it's May 10th and 11th, one in the garage in London and one in Glasgow. Uh, they're then doing Slam Dunk May 25th um, and various other dates. They're always fucking busy. They're a really, really cool band. Yeah, just end of. Um, but their new record, Eternal Forward Motion, does come out on May 10th um, through Spin Farm Records. So go pre-order that. And if you want to just keep up to date with everything they're doing, as I'm saying, I can't remember. I need to keep checking what they're doing. You can do so on their various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description of this episode. Um, that is it for another week. Uh, as mentioned last week, this weekend I am going to be at Outbreak Festival for... Uh, kind of celebrations for my birthday so uh, when I usually kind of edit and everything times I will be in a hotel in Leeds so whether I get a chance to do it at normal time or not I'm not sure but fear not there will still be an episode out next week it might just be a, little, a day later or so but don't panic um, but for now thank you again for stopping by the Justin Inside podcast and I'll see you soon mm-hmm.